so today I'm going to do something I don't think I've ever done. Um, if you have your notes around you, you will notice the, that I have a, a, a rather strange title on there uh, today. Today, uh, the title of the message is How to Talk to the Devil. How to talk to the devil. Now, those of you, if you're here for the first time, we are not one of those charismatic fringe churches. We are not one of those, uh, you know, we don't go find demons under every rock. We don't, that's, that's not who we are as a church. In fact, I don't think I've uh, preached a message uh, just, just, just about the devil in a long time on a Sunday morning. Uh, now, I have taught from what uh, Jack Hayford's Encyclopedia of Deliverance, and I've taught in certain circumstances extensively about the enemy. It's just not Sunday morning fair, not because I'm, I'm all politically correct, but Rather, because it's really hard to build a good foundational understanding on a Sunday morning in about 30 minutes. It just takes a lot more time. And one of the things that I understand about, uh, about hot-button topics, it is particularly about the, the devil and demonic and that kind of thing, is that they just really love to showboat. The devil just loves all kinds of press. And so when you talk about the devil, then a lot of people think, oh, you're really one of those flakes, aren't you? You really believe in a spirit realm. Well, okay, if I'm a flake, Jesus was a flake, and I'm in good company. Because you can't believe in Jesus and not believe in the devil. Because if you believe in Jesus and you understand his mission, was the reason the Son of God came was to destroy the devil's work. So, so you, you got to realize that these two things are connected. And so I want to talk with you a little bit about uh, today about how to talk to the devil. Now, some of y'all, I'm not talking about your spouse. Just take that off the table right there. The Bible says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers. So when I say how to talk to the devil, I'm not talking about your spouse, right? All right. Um, I'm not talking about listening to what he has to say. Some of y'all listen to the devil way too much. The, the reality is if you're having a two-way conversation with the devil, then it, chances are you, you're already, if his lips are moving, he's lying. You've got nothing to hear from him. You've got nothing to listen to. There's nothing that he can tell you that would be, oh, tell me more. No. <laughs> Shut it down, Right? And so, uh, but let's start with this, uh, with a, a little bit of fun. So many years ago, probably, I don't know, I, I'm, I'm afraid to put dates on, but probably 20, 25 years ago, um, a pastor by the name of Tommy Barnett, who founded Phoenix First Assembly in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, he was on TBN one day, and he was on a live broadcast with Jan uh, Crouch from TBN, and uh and so this is back when Jan was still alive. And, and so he was interviewing a biker babe that had just been saved like four days prior. Come up really rough, really tough situation, tattoos everywhere, piercings everywhere. But she had the joy of the Lord on her face because she had just gotten saved just a few days prior. And uh, so Tommy, Tommy's just an evangelist with a pulpit. He, was a, he, he pastored that church for many, many years, still alive, still a great leader in our movement. Uh, but uh, he had seen thousands of people come to Christ at Phoenix First. And so here he is interviewing this gal. 
And, and uh, as he's having this conversation, she's just telling how Jesus saved her and how miserable her life was before and all the things that she had gone through and that Jesus had delivered her from. And so Jan got so excited, you know, so they're, they're watching Jan on a monitor, you know, and this is like satellite, like back and forth, back and forth, but it's live, right? And, and so they're having this kind of, so Jan just says, oh, it's so exciting what Jesus has done. And, you know, hearing your story just makes me hate the devil even worse than I ever have. So I think we just all ought to curse the devil right now. Let's all curse the devil right now. And that little biker babe, she had the vernacular that she'd always had. So she just cuts loose with every four-letter word you could think of. And she ran the devil down one way and down another. And she just cussed and cussed and cussed. And how bad she hated the devil and everything. And Jan's eyes got big. And Tommy laughed like crazy. And when she was finally done, he says, I don't disagree with a word you said. how to talk to the devil. So as we get into the word today, your notes are, are printed there for you, but I'm not going to read Luke chapter 4. I'm going to tell you a little bit of the backstory, and I'm going to kind of set it up in storyline form, okay? So just, just, uh, just go with me into the story here. Um, part of the Part of the understanding that I have of Luke chapter 4 comes from a, a, a season of my life where I was trying to say, okay, I, I want to see how Jesus' life matches up with how Jesus tells us to live. So we, uh, we sang the song earlier that the, for the kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. We get that from the Lord's Prayer, don't we? Um, we get that from how Jesus taught us to pray. But I thought there was something curious about the Lord's Prayer as it related to Jesus, particularly in this story. Because the Bible says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. But you find in the scripture that uh, in Luke chapter 4 that Jesus has just come from the waters of baptism. And the Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus at the waters of baptism. And the scripture says that he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted. Do you see my dilemma? Lead us not into temptation, Jesus tells us to pray. But the Spirit of God led Jesus directly into temptation. Huh. What does this mean? How do we decipher this? How do we break this down? Let me tell you what I, I believe, and you don't have to believe it this way. But I believe that you and I, when we think in terms of temptation, many times the, the feelings we, we come up with, that what, what, what we sense is we, we sense weakness. When, if I'm tempted by something, it's, it's something that I know is a snare, but I, but I have a proclivity. I have a taste for it. I have something, something somewhere stirring on the inside of me that wants to agree with the devil. There's something on the inside of me that wants that which is not what the Father has for me, right? And we feel weakness when it comes to temptation, but I don't believe that was happening in the, in the life of Jesus in this moment. Let me tell you what I think was going on here, and I believe I can prove it to you from Scripture. So we know that in the garden in Genesis chapter 2 and 3 that the serpent went to the location where the first man was. 
The serpent went and sought out the first man because why? Uh, because Adam is the landlord. He owns everything. God gave him dominion. And so he has authority in that garden. And so uh, the serpent goes not all the way to the top, but to his second in command comes to Eve and said, did God really say? Remember last week we talked about uh, lie to me. We talked about the deceptive power of sin. And it always starts with a question. What's the question? Did God really say? What did God really say? Now, if you're writing this down, it's in your notes, but you can circle this a little bit further down. There's only three temptations that the enemy will ever try on you, and they come through the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. That's the same old song. That's the, the exact same thing that he did in the garden. That's the exact same thing he's going to try on Jesus. And we find from 1 John uh, that uh, John says, you know, uh, this, is, this is what you'll find in the world. This is the way the world system is wired up. There, those three things things. And if you could block off those three things, you would never fall to sin again. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, pride of life. There's no other way that sin can get, uh, can snare you except those three things. So uh, for some of you, that's all the word you needed today. Well, thanks, Pastor Ken. But let me tell you what happens here. So Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He fasts for 40 days. Why would Jesus fast for 40 days? How many of you have fasted for uh, a day? How many of you just fast between Snickers bars? Tell the truth. Okay. Um, so, you know, I've, we've done a lot of uh, longer fasts here at Lighthouse. If you're a guest with us, you, you're, you're, you can, you'll hear more about this. But um, we, uh, we typically do a 21-day a, a fast at the beginning of the year in January. Um, and so you'll hear more about that. This coming year, I'm just dropping a seed, we're probably going to cover Lent. We're probably going to do a 40-day fast in Lent this year. That's right. Some of you, the oxygen just left the room. And, uh, and don't, don't worry about it. We'll We'll teach you how to go about that. Do some of it, do a little bit of it, do some of it, do all of it, whatever you want to do. But we'll, we have you covered. We have a fasting manual. We teach people how to do this in a healthful way. And so anyway, so Jesus fasted for 40 days. And he, and he does that because there's something powerful about Jesus that's unique to Jesus that was not unique to anybody except Adam before. Jesus is fully God and he's fully man. Jesus is not 50%. God and 50% man. It wasn't 60-40. He is 100% God and 100% man. That means he is 100% spirit and 100% flesh. So when he is going to face off with the devil, he's on a devil hunt. This is what exactly what the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God is better than any GPS you could ever have. He was in step with the Spirit of God, and he went looking for the devil. But as he was going looking for the devil, he was fasting. Why? Because if you were ever going to get hung up with something, it would not be the Spirit of God on the inside of you that would lead you into sin. It would be your flesh. It would be your flesh that would be your weakness. It would be your flesh that would cause you problems. It would be your flesh that would get in the way. And so Jesus fasted for 40 days so that his flesh would be at its absolute weakest point. He didn't want to have to deal with his flesh when he was looking the serpent in the eye. Paul said, when I am weak, then I am 
strong, right? Why, what is that about? Paul understood that when I go through persecutions, when I go through challenges, I don't take that in the flesh. I'm weakening my flesh so that I can face off with the enemy. And so Jesus, at the, the place where his flesh was the lowest, his spirit man was the strongest. That he was ready he was ready to go into the ring with the devil at that moment. Now, notice what Jesus does, and, and as, as we think through this, notice what he doesn't do. The first thing is he takes the fight to the devil. He doesn't shrink back and wait. He's led by the Spirit to take the battle to the enemy. And, and then the second thing that he does is he doesn't stand there in front of, of the devil and say, well, you know, look at my credentials. I am, I am the second person of the Trinity. I was in the mind of God before the foundation of the world. Let me pull out my, let me pull out my pedigree. I, you can, you know, and, and he didn't list all of his names off. But when the devil came and said, if you are the son of God, if notice the, the condes, con, uh, condescending view. If you're the son of God, command these stones to become bread. Right? Lust of the flesh. You think he was a little hungry right then? Uh-huh. You think he wanted something to eat? Yeah. But if you are the son of God, command the stones to become bread. He's, 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 if he did that, he would have been testing the Lord. You know, you got to get to the place in your life where you say, between you and Jesus, you know, I, I, I want nothing more, nothing less, nothing else than the will of the Father. And Jesus, to, to have prostituted his, uh, his uh, you know, that moment so that he could feed his flesh, you know, what did he say? It is written, man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He secured the, uh, the citadel of his will as it related to his flesh with the word. It is written. It is written. If you're going to talk to the devil, you better have it is written next to whatever you're going to say. It is written. Right Now, th this is a pattern for us to get a hold of. Jesus knew that he had to weaken his flesh. He knew he had to submit his flesh to, uh, you know, to the Lord. He knew that his journey was submitted because he submitted himself to the ordained ministry of the day. He goes to John the Baptist just before this passage. He goes to John the Baptist, and John says, you're a godly man. I mean, I'm filling in the blank here, but you're, I need to be baptized by you. Jesus, you've got something going on I've never seen before. I need to be baptized by you. He recognized Jesus as a righteous man, and Jesus said, let it be so now to fulfill all righteousness. So the ordained ministry of the day. The old covenant baptizes the new covenant. Jesus placed himself under. That place of submission opened up the opportunity for the new covenant to come to pass. The old covenant had to be folded into the new. Are you with me? It had to happen. There had to be that overlap. John is the transition man. He, you can look at him as the last Old Testament prophet or the first New Testament prophet. Whatever one you want to look at, doesn't matter. He's a transition guy. So the transition happens at baptism. The Spirit of God comes down on Jesus. Now he's ready. Holy Spirit takes him in, goes on a devil hunt, goes there, and what does he do? It is written, it is written, it is written. You know, Jesus, Jesus by saying it is written is saying the Lord rebuke you. 
He's hiding himself under the provision of the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. He is saying, I've got a word for you, devil. It didn't come from my mind. It didn't come from something I, some, some nice statement that I read, some meme that I read off the internet. It came from the, it's the word of God. It's forever settled in heaven. It has authority in, at every level in heaven and above the earth and under the earth. It has it covered. Devil, there's nowhere that you can run. There's nowhere that you can hide. It is written. The authority of the word of God. And so we've got to be people. And here's, here's what Jesus practiced for us even before his brother James ever came along. Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Many of us try to resist before we try to submit. Many of us try to resist, but we've got too many areas that the enemy is running amok in our lives because we let him. We let him, right? Jesus was coming back. Uh, he, he was defeating the enemy in order that anywhere on the planet that you and I would go, we would find victory in Jesus' name. That we would find victory in Jesus' name in heaven. We would find victory in Jesus' name under the earth. We would find victory here because the, the enemy it was operating in those realms. And so Jesus came to take back what he's the second, he's the last man. Adam was the first man. Jesus is the last man. He's the second Adam. He's the head of the race. In his blood. Not a cursed bloodstream. Jesus was conceived of the Holy Spirit in a virgin's womb. Not a cursed bloodstream. He's got physical body, but his blood, his blood is a different, it's, it's a whole different dimension than what our world has seen. And so Jesus is standing there. Uh, he takes the battle to the enemy, and when he speaks, it is written, it is written, it is written. And the scripture says the devil took off. The devil left him. Why did he do that? He was soundly defeated right then. Can I tell you? He was complete. Why? Because the head of a new race had come on the scene and had, had taken care of what, to, what took place at the garden. Now the enemy didn't have that. He knew that his hold was slipping. Right? Now what has to be dealt with is all of the debt of the sin that had been sinned from the time of Adam all the way up through the law all the way till the time of Christ. All that debt needs to be taken care of and that got taken care of at the cross. Right? But it got taken care of at the cross because there was a victorious bloodline that went to the cross. And the victory happened right there. And when Jesus comes out, the scripture says he comes out of the wilderness in the power of the Holy Spirit. In the power of the Holy I want you to see the pattern here. Jesus, when he overcomes temptation, the Spirit of God led him into the temptation. But when he comes out, he comes out in the power. Some of us are seeking God for, uh, for power in our lives, but we're looking in the wrong place. Authority in the kingdom always goes, flows through submission. 
if you're going to be a person in the, in the kingdom of God that, people, that, that God can use, if you're going to be that person, then you've got to submit yourself to the authorities that God places over you. Uh, you've got to submit your life, every aspect of your life, that God, don't, don't leave something dangling out there. Submit your life to the word of God. We're not going to ask you to do anything around here that the word of God doesn't ask you to do. We're, that's not what we do. We want you to be victorious. We want you to grow. We want your families, your kids to make right choices. We want you to be debt-free. We want you to not have any bondage in your life. Why? So that you can be that person that God wants you to be fully and appreciated. Some people say, well, you know, Pastor Ken, you talk about freedom all the time, but I don't feel very free. Well, I can help you with that. But, I, but, the, but the first step is going to be what area of your life's not submitted to God. Because the power flows from the submission. Jesus Christ was obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God gave him a name that is above every other name. Do you see the progression? You see that Jesus was obedient unto death and then God elevated him. Right? God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The humble person said, I don't need to be in charge. I want God to be in charge. The humble person says, I'm going to place myself under whatever God says. That's what goes. You know, I, 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 end of story. You know, <laughs> I'm going to do what God says. End of story. You know, and, and so when we submit ourselves, that's when God's authority comes and rests on our life. You got to give up in order to go up. What do you need to give up? If the Holy Spirit's getting a hold of anything in your life today, what is he saying you got to give this up in order to go up in your authority in the kingdom? This is exactly the pattern that Jesus gives to us. And so it, you and I only have authority to speak to, to the devil when we have submitted ourselves to the Lord. Are you with me? We placed ourselves under. Now, um, let me give you one illustration, and, and then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll make this come home. Uh, one other uh, illustration from the Scripture. You know, you remember in, uh, I think it's in Luke chapter 10, where uh, Jesus tells his disciples, he, he pulls his 72 aside, and he sends them into place ahead of him, and they go two by two, and he says to them, he said, when you go into a town, you know, say, peace be unto this house. If there's a man of peace there, then your peace will rest upon him. And he said, don't move around, eat what's set in, in front of you. And here's your job description. Here's your job description. Your job description is, uh, is to uh, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, cast out the demons, and say the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Different gospel writers say it slightly differently, but that's basically what's contained in that job description. And so when the disciples come back to Jesus to give him feedback, feedback is the breakfast of champions. If you, uh, you, you need to, sometimes we think we do real good, then we talk to our spouse, we find out we didn't do as good as we thought we did. Um, feedback is, is the breakfast of champions. You gotta have feedback, right? So feedback is the deal. So, so the disciples come back and they're rejoicing and here's what they say, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name, you know? And, and Jesus says, hey, you know, I, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. It's an awesome thing. But don't rejoice in that. Rejoice that your name's written in, in the, the Lamb's book of life, right? Uh, rejoice that your name's written in heaven. But the thing that was sensational, the thing that stood out for them uh, was that they had authority in the spirit realm in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Now, that word submit, that word submit means to willingly place myself under. If I have to demand your submission, then I've just taken the, your capacity to submit out of your hands. 
You might obey me, but you're not submissive because I demanded it first. But in the spirit realm, things are ordered. And because Jesus Christ is Lord, demons can't squirm about that. There's nothing they have to say. They willingly place themselves under. That's why when Jesus would walk into a town and, and demonized people would walk up, you know, and he was just walking along and they'd scream. And then he'd tell them what to do or where to go. Isn't it cool you can tell a demon where to go? I mean, if you're really going to, you know, it just feels good to tell somebody to go to hell. <laughs> but we wrestle not against flesh and blood, so, right? It's not people. It's spiritual reality. Demons willingly submit to the name of Jesus. In our world, Hollywood, through horror movies, through whatever, whatever, Hollywood makes you think that evil is just as strong as good. And, and that, that uh, it's almost this, this Asian yin, yin and yang principle that there's a balance in the earth. There is no balance in the earth whatsoever. Jesus has all authority. Amen. Satan has none. He has none, zero, zero. Jesus said, I have all authority. That's the, that's the implication. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. The devil has no authority. What does he do? He lies, he cheats, he deceives, he trespasses. That's what he's got. He has no right. He has no right to anything in your home, no right to your stuff, no right to your kids, no right to your life, no right to your marriage, no right to your job, no right to your future, no right to even to your past. All of that's been taken care of. The devil has no right, and he has no authority. So why are you giving it to him? Why are you letting him stick around there? Why are you letting him trespass? Why are you letting him talk in your kid's ear? Why are you listening to condemnation? Why are you doing those things? You don't owe him anything. The only word you ought to say is get out of here. Yeah. You know, the only conversation you need to have is why are you still here? Get out. That you, there's no other purpose, right? He's trespassing. You know, imagine somebody just decides that they're going to show up at your house and they're going to bring brick and mortar and they're going to dig some footers and they're going to put a house in your backyard, and they say, oh, by the way, will you pay for it? Oh, by the way, we'll, we're going to hook into your septic system. By the way, we're going to hook into your power. No, they're trespassing. They have no right. And, and so the enemy trespasses in our lives and we let him because we just really didn't know what was ours. I hope you know a little more of what's yours today. I hope you know that Jesus already paid for it. Like, it's not going to cause a brownout in heaven for, for all the demons of, of hell to leave Gloucester County. It would not be. It's already been paid for. It's already been taken care of. God's just waiting for somebody to agree with him on earth to do his will. He's just waiting for somebody to agree with him to say, you know what, I'm, I'm uh, my kids are sanctified to the Lord, you know. Uh, all my children shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be their peace. You know, the rest of the, you know, a thousand may fall at, the, at my side, ten thousand at my right hand, but it's not going to come near to me. He's looking for somebody that will stand in faith, right? Stand in faith. So let's go back to this issue of submission real quick. The, the biggest challenge for us as believers, and, that, and I really didn't get a hold of this until I really began to enter into some fasting. 
in your notes, it talks about how Jesus submitted uh, to God, submitted his flesh to God through fasting. But things turn on for you when you fast that you didn't, you won't see unless you fast. And I'm not, I'm not saying, okay, let's all just go on a long fast right now. I want, I want you to understand the principles here. Fasting doesn't earn you credit with God. Fasting doesn't move God from the standpoint of, uh, of you know, well, if we get enough people fasting, then God will surely hear our prayer. That's, that's wrong thinking. That's wrong thinking. The only righteousness that we will ever have is the blood of Jesus. That's it. That's it. And so that's why we need to use the name, the word, and the blood in our prayers because those are the nuclear warheads that take out the devil, that serve the notice. The blood of Jesus is against you, devil. You have no authority, right? So fasting doesn't move God. Fasting doesn't uh, it make you or earn you points with God. What fasting does is it positions you to see that there are things that are holding on to your flesh that you didn't really realize and that you uh, that at some level you and I have our, have a, a a foothold you know we give the devil a foothold through our flesh you know and the reason that that happens is because our, our desire for food is very closely connected to all other desires it's kind of the taproot right and and so uh, you know I'm I'm hungry so therefore I'm going to go eat and so I follow through on that desire. But if I build up my strength by telling my flesh no, then I realize that there are other things connected to my desires that ought not to be connected to my desires, and I, not, I, I ought not to obey them. But I didn't know I had the authority to say no to them until I cut the tap root, which was fasting. More on that another time. But when we give the enemy a foothold and, and we're not submitted to God the way we think we're submitted to God, and so then we get puzzled why, you know, I prayed and that thing is still there. I, you know, I, I, I called the 700 club and got on the prayer list, but that thing is still there. You know, and you, you do everything you know, you know to do, but there's an area of your life. And I don't know what it is. I'm not standing up here smart enough to act like I could walk out there and say, I can tell you exactly where it is. But let me tell you, having done all to stand, we stand. And there might be things in your life that don't line up chapter and verse yet. There are simple ones. These are the simple ones. Tithing, that's the simple one. That's the simple one. Why? Because where your treasure is, there your what? Heart will be also. So, so, uh, so submitted in giving. Submitted in your relationships. If you're dealing with unforgiveness in your life, can I tell you that unforgiveness will wreck your train. Unforgiveness will cause you problems that you didn't think. You'll, you say, well, I, you know, I have this problem over here with this, uh, you know, with uh, alcohol. I have this problem over here with this drug. I have this problem with comfort food over here. Can I tell you it might trace back to unforgiveness. Because you don't want to face that person, and so you do whatever you can to make yourself feel better and fill in the blank. So unforgiveness is one of those big areas that uh, if we're not submitted to God in that reality, that area of our life, it can cause us problems in other areas. Are you tracking with me today? Just trying to help you here. I'm not trying to make anybody squirm or feel uncomfortable about anything. I want you to understand this is a reality. But after you go chapter and verse... And you say, okay, I'm tithing, I'm not, I'm not walking in unforgiveness, I'm not, and, and you can go through and you can check your boxes, then the Holy Spirit's going to talk to you about what's going on in your inner life. Then he's going to talk to you about the things that might not be sin for the person sitting next to you, but for you, you better not go there. And some of us never develop our walk to get to that place. 
because that's, that's where you move off the word and into his will. Romans 12 tells us, right, present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, right? Uh, you're, you're transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may then prove what is the will of God, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You know, we're conforming too much to the patterns of the believers around us. Because what if your world is, well, I don't have any unchristian friends anymore. Well, I want to say go get some unchristian friends so you can win them to Jesus. But in the process, don't just think that groupthink is good enough for you and your father. He knows what's in your heart. He knows what your hangups are. And you've got to listen to his voice to know what he's talking to you about. Don't go talk to that person. Don't go watching that. Don't go do that. And, 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 and the Holy Spirit on the inside of you will lead you out to the place of submission. Several years ago, I was at the dentist. Don't you love the dentist? Okay, me neither. But... I mean, I love my dentist, don't get me wrong, but, um, but just the idea of the dentist, you know. And, uh, and so you ever, you know when they, when they have to do a cavity, they've got to pull out that little drill? You know what I mean? If I can make Pastor Daniel squirm, I've done it. I've done it. Made my day right there. So, so, uh, so I'm sitting there in the dentist chair, right? And, and so they come in and they say, oh, you might feel a little stick. You know what that means. Like, I'm about to go through the roof right here, you know, and you feel it all the way down to your toes, you know, and they stick you with that, and that needle, you know, and then, and oh, here's another one, and then, you know, and then I'm like, oh, okay, I'll be back in a few minutes. And, uh, and the dentist comes in a little bit too quickly sometimes for me. I mean, I don't know, uh, some, sometimes they, come, they walk back in there, you know, I can't, I can't do the laughing gas. I found out that just doesn't work for me. I get uh, really sick. I'm sorry to mess with you. But um, so anyway, uh, found that out when I was seven, so I haven't had that. But so anyway, the doctor comes in, right, and he's got a uh, finger right there. Uh, and then you hear that little girl, And all of a sudden, he hits something up inside. I'm like, and he says, is there a problem? I'm not, I'm not dead yet. I'm not dead. What? I'm not dead. I'm not dead yet. It's not dead. It hurts. It's not dead. Why? You're not dead yet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not dead yet. When you were baptized, you went under the water and you proclaimed, I am dead to sin. I proclaimed, I am dead to that past life. I no longer live this way anymore. If you were baptized, you submitted your journey to the Lord. That means you are now dead to sin, but alive to God, right? You placed someone over your life. His name is Jesus, and the person of the Holy Spirit resides on the inside of you, leading you into life and peace, leading you into hope, leading you into joy. But there might be areas in your life where I'm not dead yet. <laughs> and that's where you're feeling the pain, and that's where you're feeling the fear, and that's where you're feeling the anxiety, and that's where you're feeling whatever it is that you're feeling that the enemy knows that if he can just push on that area, that you're going to succumb. Can I tell you? Allow Jesus to work the work of death in you. Paul said it this way. It's theological, but you got to get a, you got to get a hold of the, the picture. He says, 
Reckon yourself. That's an accounting word. Reckon yourself. Take, take your account. Reckon yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Right? So you and I have this same challenge that Jesus had. Because he was fully God and fully man. We're not fully God, but the, the, the fullness of the Godhead dwells on the inside of us, the scripture says. You have been given fullness in Christ, Colossians says. The fullness of the Godhead dwells on the inside of you. But you got, a, you got part of you, you got some flesh. And your flesh wants to side with the devil rather than Jesus. Right? But it, flesh is just a medium. What you have to do is you have to reckon yourself dead to sin but alive to God. Don't just assume that what everybody else is doing is good enough. Don't just assume that our culture is going to get better. Honey, it's getting worse by the day. And it's going to communicate stuff to you that is detrimental to your soul. It's going to communicate stuff to your kids that they have no business knowing whether they're 18 or not. In regards to evil, we should be children. We've got to grow up in the things of God. And this is, this is meat this morning, friends. I, I'm, but track with me. If we're going to be giant slayers, and that's what God's called us to be, then we've got to shore up this area of our life. Submitting ourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will what? He'll flee. He will flee, but he won't flee because you're impressive and you got a cool hairline and, and you got it all going on. He will flee because of the blood of Jesus. He has seen your kind before in the wilderness. Amen? Are you encouraged? All right. Now you know how to talk to the devil. Let's stand up this morning. Stand up this morning. Father, in the name of Jesus right now. God, I pray for anybody that doesn't know Jesus in this room or anybody that's lived distant. They heard the word, but they didn't make it theirs. Lord, this atmosphere has been charged with your presence from the word go. And God, I just thank you that you're making yourself real to people right now. God, I pray that they would understand just a fraction of how good life with you is, Jesus. How good that love that you have for us is, Lord God. That you don't want anyone to perish, but that all should come to repentance and all should come to a knowledge of Jesus. And all could come to, Lord, I'm not asking them to have a bad life. I'm has, asking them to have the best life. The best life they could ever have. The best uh, uh, person that they could ever be is found in you, Jesus. There is nothing that you have left to chance. There is nothing that you have left outside of. You have given us all things that we need for life and for godliness. So, Father, I just pray over all this room right now. Lord, I pray for the backsliders. I pray for the, pray for the people, Lord God, that have kept you at arm's length. I pray for the people right now, Lord God, uh, that, uh, that have been the prodigals, Lord God. I pray for those in this room, Lord, that uh, they have a loved one that's been praying for them. And, Lord, they're, they're here because a loved one wants them here. But they're not really motivated to be here because they really didn't get it. They really didn't understand. But today they've heard the gospel. And today's their day. Today's their day. Is today your day? Is today your day? This isn't, this isn't we got it all perfect, we're perfect, we got it all figured out. No, we've just found the perfect one. And we want to know him.
But if you haven't made the perfect one your Lord and today you want to, irregardless of who's standing next to you or who's in this room or who would see, you're not ashamed, just slip your hand up. Amen, amen, amen. Claim Jesus as your Lord today. Go ahead, raise your hand up high, raise your hand up high. Claim him, claim him, claim him all over this place. The victor did that for you. The blood of Jesus was shed for you, for you. Not just a preacher, not just as somebody that prays all the time, for you, for your sin, for your life. Jesus did it for you. Jesus did it for you. Jesus did it for you. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Would you just step out from where you're at and come? I wanna pray with you before we leave today. Come on, give them a hand as they come. You raise your hand, come on, don't be ashamed. Make it real, make it real, make it real. Amen, 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 make it real. Come on, there are others, come on. Don't be shy, don't be shy, come on, come on. We're just gonna pray with them. We're gonna pray with them. Maybe you've made Jesus Lord of your life before, but God did something in this service. Can I tell you, I wanna remind you of a verse in Revelation 12, 11. It says, they overcame him, that is the enemy, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. The word of their testimony. Only you can tell other people what Jesus did on the inside of you. Nobody else knows until you speak it out. So if you got delivered from something today, you tell somebody inside this 24-hour period what Jesus did for you. You get that testimony moving. The blood of Jesus did its work, but you've got to get a hold of that testimony. And you've got to hold on to that thing because that thing's going to save you. You're going to walk around and say, you know what, I used to do that, but I'm not anymore. I'm, this, I'm different now. I'm a different person. I'm a different person. I've been saying that since I was 17 years old. And every time I get another victory, every time I overcome temptation, every time I take another step in God, my testimony gets stronger. So God has that for you. He's given you a testimony, amen? He's given you a testimony. He's given you a testimony. Hold on to it. It's a gift from God, but it's a gift that you constantly keep building on. Just say this with me, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. I thank you for your blood that was shed for me. You are mine, and I am yours, and I will live for you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Would just extend your hand this way over them right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would solidify in their hearts this decision today. Take them higher. Grow them stronger. Cause them to move into a place that they've never been in you, God, in Jesus' name. We come against all oppression. We come against every attack of the enemy. We come against anything that the enemy's going to try to do to win them back, to come against their mind in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, we just agree together, Lord God, that they're going to go all the way into the pearly gates with us, oh God, that we're not going to lose anybody, that we are going to be a mighty throng going forward together. We're going to march forward together. Hallelujah. The blood of Jesus having cleansed us, the enemy under our feet, and we're going to walk together into heaven. We thank you for that, Jesus. We thank you for your goodness to us today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, let's just celebrate right now.